bumblebee's sting, or a witch's snout, or a public bathroom, or a daddy's shout. These are the things that some find scary. Awful scary. Yes, very. That's a song by Diane Drangle. <laughs> Hi, welcome back to Check It Out. Today's show is going to be about things that are scary, things that make you scared. And being scared is one of the worst things for your health. Let's check it out. Let's check it out. Check it out! everyone, and welcome to Cut to Black, a podcast about how we experience television. My name is Sean T. Collins, I'm a TV critic, and I'm the author of Pain Don't Hurt, Meditations on Roadhouse, which is a tremendous Christmas gift, I must say. If you go to mzsworldstore.com, it's perfect for the Roadhouse fan in your life. And joining me, as always, is my illustrious co-host, Gretchen Falker-Martin, film critic and horror author. My debut novel, Manhunt, comes out from Tor Nightfire 22222. Nothing stopping you from pre-ordering that for Christmas, as a matter of fact. That's right, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, there's more. (laughs) And today, Gretchen and I will be discussing the performance of John C. Riley as the title character in Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule, a spinoff of Tim and Eric Awesome Show, Great Job. One of the high points, I think, of the Tim and Eric oeuvre, for sure. Yeah, And so much of it is dependent on, I mean, there's a lot going on in the show that's terrific. And we could talk about the entire show in depth forever, pretty much. I it's, mean, we could, we could probably spend the whole night just listing gags. Yep. Or just, or, or going deep on Doug Preed or Carol <laughs> Crabbit or Scott Clam or Terry Bruges Hiplo. Yeah. They all sustain basically infinite scrutiny. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to kind of zero in on on Riley's performance. I wrote a piece going back five years now for Vulture about how it's just straight up one of the best performances in comedy. And yep. because it's an Adult Swim show that airs in the middle of the night and it's very weird, no one gave a shit. But the it, it is a god tier comic performance, and I want to know your thoughts about it. So the thing that was that was and I'm I'm sorry to digress here but I promise it's heading back for this this path. I trust you. The thing that was swimming around in my head earlier today when I was I was getting ready for the podcast by watching a few clips was that we've talked a lot about how comedy often gives up aesthetically even before it gets to the gate. Um, um. a lot of comedy just doesn't have any coherent sense of place or personality in how it's like costumed and how it sets are dressed and check it out is fucking immaculate. Like you just have layers on top of layers with this 
weird overgrown man child in his ill-fitting sort of faux collegiate suits and then on top of that you have the public access aesthetic you have the the poor quality of the film grain and the morphing that occurs during cuts um all of which i think serves to frame the strangest performance in in all of comedy <laughs> i mean here's here's i think at its heart the idea behind Dr. Steve Brule is tremendously simple. It's effectively what if a toddler was an adult doctor? Yeah. Um, but it's in the, the granular details that the true strangeness emerges. And just the amount of shit that John C. Riley can communicate with his bizarre expressions i mean when he's like smiling but clearly dissociating or the way that he expresses sadness with like his puppy dog eyes and looking down at the floor he's so tremendously emotive he's there's just no aspect of this that hasn't been thought through and that he hasn't made a weird decision about yeah, I was watching in preparation for the podcast, and I think it was the finale of season three, which is nominally an episode of his public access show about skateboards, but winds up being an episode of his public access show about comas, because he slips on a skateboard and hits his head and falls into a medically induced coma. And um, I, just in the introductory section where he's he's trying to act tough, because only tough guys and cool guys ride skateboards, and this is his coolness being a, a an obsession of his since he's yes unbelievably uncool um the way he twists his face and kind of like talks out of the side of his mouth and kind of squints it, these are facial expressions that are unlike anything you've ever seen on a human face before yes but they make sense for this guy and o- and only this guy like th- there's even in a whole cast of non-actors and and weird quasi-actors and the other people who populate the show, he goes above and beyond to make himself singular and really deeply weird. Yes. And I, I think that for me, an important visual and emotional key to this is the thing that like a lot of what he's imitating is the behavior of very young children the way that you, you mentioned the way that his mouth moves, he moves it like he doesn't have all his teeth. (laughs) Yes, you're right. It's almost, it's, it almost looks like a baby rooting, you know, the, the sucking at the air reflex. Mm -hmm. Um, and there is just something incredibly infantile about him. Yeah. I wrote about this. So vulnerable. Yep. Cause he's, Part of it is just how John C. Riley is built as a person. He's very he's six foot two. And I remember um the artist Coop saying that he saw him in LA and he had the biggest head of any human being he's ever seen. <laughs> and it makes him look like an overgrown toddler because his his proportions have not quite settled into the proportions of a normal human being. Right, And he uses this to great effect in a wide variety of roles. Like in all the, the dopey comedies he did, 
you know, that's in the sort of Judd Apatow universe. Um, he works really well because he seems like an idiot man child, but it's this, it also makes him seem very vulnerable in like a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Right. I was or, just thinking about him in Boogie Nights. Yeah. Um, or even like uh, in the movie Chicago, he plays the character who sings the song Mr. Cellophane, which I was sort of born and raised on Broadway musicals for my mom. And mm-hmm. I remember her telling me, oh, it stopped the show. And I was like, what does that mean? And and she's like, oh, when not when, when whatever production of Chicago she saw, like got a standing ovation in the middle of the show for this song. So it, it stuck out to me. And I was like, how does a guy who's six foot two sing a song about blending into the wallpaper and no one noticing him. It's like, well, if you are built like John C. Riley, you're not like a hulking, like wrestler. You're, you're, you're right. an overgrown toddler and you do seem vulnerable and passive in some way and, and easy to overlook. And boy, does he use that physicality to his advantage in this role? Yeah. The, there's a what I always experience when I watch Check It Out is that I so badly want to protect Dr. Steve Brule. <laughs> I just I want someone to intercede and prevent him from like burning his hand on a stove or something. Mm-hmm. And watching him walk around unsupervised and like not just that, but in a position of at least nominal authority as the host of a television show. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's a, it can be really harrowing, um, especially because he has this enormous, dramatic, totally unaffected reaction to getting hurt or being upset. Like yeah, he'll, he'll he'll double over and vomit like a cartoon character, or he'll scream and like flop over on his back and curl up. And it's not just dangerous stuff that sort of renders him into that state like he trip he like he he'll just fall over like he doesn't <laughs> quite have his balance like it gets back to that toddler thing like it, 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 just to him introducing an episode he's liable to bump into a piece of the set or knock something off of a table he, he he's just all over the place like i just watched the god episode oh my god uh, or, or or church or whatever it's called i don't even remember but like he tries to light a candle as an altar boy in a Catholic church and he gets too close to the candle and it makes him sneeze. And like, and like the whole time you're like, his hair is going to catch fire. Oh my God. Like, why would you let this person, let this person handle an open flame? It just seems like a terrible idea. And he's doing that over and over again. Like he gets seasick on boats and he eats out of the dumpster and he gets hit in the head with a baseball bat. And, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. You do want to like, there is something really um, tender about him that you, you want to preserve against the vicissitudes of the adult world that he has somehow found himself in and gotten some sort of medical license in, I guess. Yeah. Just, um, I mean, there's almost a sense that something calamitous has happened to him as an yes. adult. Yes. Yes. That was like always he had a, a stroke or something. That was always my idea. I mean, they wound up kind of, they create a backstory for him where I guess he was always weird uh, or at least 
traumatic experiences happen to him very early in life because right, of his like mother. Right, like he has his, his monstrous mother. Right. Doris Pringlebrule Salahari, <laughs> um, who kept him in a cage and fed him poison so he wouldn't run away like his father did. Uh, but you're absolutely right. Like my During the run of Awesome Show, I always assumed that like he, he earned his 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 doctorate or his, you know, his MD or whatever it is. And then had an accident of some kind. And it's right. like, well, we already hired this guy to do health updates for our show, our morning news show. We can't fire him. So we're just going to let him do his thing. And his thing is ridiculous, but it does seem like something, only something truly calamitous could have created this man. Yes. A, a real tragedy. Yeah. The other thing that was on my mind, and and this is something that I think has way deeper cultural penetration than the people who sort of mimetically reproduce this aspect of the show even realize at all. The way that Steve Brühl talks has become ubiquitous. Like the 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 dingus and dringus and dangus and that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, if you scroll Twitter for five minutes, you will see someone using some variation of that. And as far as I've been able to determine, it originates with him and with those sketches. Because I always thought the specificity of the weird way he talks, um, and I mentioned this in the Vulture piece, like I, I think there's a way you could look at Steve Rule and, and find it ableist in some sure. way, or like that it's making fun of people. But there's his way of speaking is so singular. It's like, no one on earth sounds anything like this at right. least until he started doing it so <laughs> yes. so he he made up a new you know it's like they always say on twitter he made up a new kind of guy he made up a new kind of guy <laughs> he really did he he invented steve brule out of a whole cloth there's the, nothing like steve brule no i mean the adding you know butchering all the names especially names that begin with d for whatever reason yeah um, and the, instead of, you know, Steve Davis, it'll be S- Steve Drungus. Yep. <laughs> That's so funny still. It's, it's, oh my God. It's so funny that I'm having a very hard time keeping it together during yes. this episode, because every time you mention a bit, I start thinking about it and it's, I mean, so we've also talked about this in regard to both comedy and horror the idea that comedy doesn't need to be funny and that horror doesn't need to be scary is first of all, complete horse shit. Mm-hmm. And second, this show is so funny. It's so fucking funny. It really puts to shame any of the sort of cool comedy that ha- has come into vogue now with like succession and stuff. Yeah. Where you have these, you know, sweaty amoral monster people who are like well why don't you get down on the ground and you know choke on my sea cucumber or something the, the fuck knuckle yeah kind compound of insults brian brian cox they made brian cox say the word fuck knuckle on one of i those hate episodes. that i hate that this man was hannibal lecter that that feels like an you. affront to me yes i'm offended you know and Here's the thing. I don't know how any version of that became enjoyable or cool because its provenance is with like 
Chuck Wendig and Lynn right. Miranda. <laughs> right. Oh boy. This is so much funnier. It just is. The, yeah. the adding the R to the opening syllable of words. Oh my god. When he jumps out from behind the the frosted glass and yells brew. brew. <laughs> One of the, legit one of the funniest things I've ever seen on television. Yes, and it's absolutely. like it's extra funny for the way that like it's funny when he does it because it's just it, part of the reason it's funny is because it makes sense within the Steve Brew world, right? Like, absolutely. Of course, that's how he would say the word "boo." He would say "brew." So, like, after you hear it. Part of your brain is like, ha ha ha, I've never heard anyone do that before. It's hilarious. And the other part of your brain is like, ha ha ha, of course Steve Brule would say it that way. That's right. hilarious. It's it's It comes at you from two fronts. Because you've heard him say broats instead of boats and pruppets instead of puppets and, and and all this kind of stuff. And to just take it to that further extreme, like a one syllable, an easy one syllable word that doesn't even... You know, it's a, it's an exclamation. It's barely even a word. For him to mangle that in that same predictable way. Ugh. It's incredible. It's, it's art. Yeah. And, of course, the other element is that he's a grown man essentially playing peekaboo with you. Right. right. <laughs> and, you know, he, he looks as though he expects that you were scared and surprised. <laughs> Gotcha. As though you are not tuning in to his television show where he is scheduled to appear. <laughs> the one place in the whole world you know he will be. <laughs> <laughs> Scared you. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah, so, so anyway, this way of talking has just like filtered out anonymously into the, the wider domain of, of internet culture. You know, people are, are, they love to say trungus and bungus and make up fake names in that mold. Um, and, and just sort of this, this mush mouthed nonsensical way of inventing sounds has become very popular. And I, I really think you can trace a lot of it back to the show. Yeah. Cause Tim yeah, and really Eric, agree. I mean, that's to me, that's like the Monty Python of, of our generation. 100%. Because they've, and I'm, I'm taking this from you, but they've invented a new way to be funny. Yeah. Um, and even if they they don't quite have Monty Python's like cultural reach, if only because there's so much more pop culture now than there was in the seventies, the influence is there. Absolutely. And you know, we talked about Coffin Flop a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and there's absolutely not one inch of. I think you should leave without Tim and Eric. Yeah. I mean, I think we mentioned it, you know. Yeah, we did. Yeah. There's a reason Tim Heidecker is a recurring actor on that show. It's like, well, without him and Eric, there really wouldn't be one. Right. Exactly. And the, the thing about 
Tim and Eric that I think differentiates them from the Pythons to a certain extent is they're, I mean, they made a movie, I guess, but like they're prolific on television or on the, on whatever you would call the internet version of television in a way that Python never was, you know, I mean, <laughs> like there's Monty Python flying circus and then there was faulty towers and there's the ruddles, I guess, and so on. But like, it feels like Tim and Eric are always making stuff and that the stuff that they make goes on for a long time. You know, yeah. there's four seasons of check it out. There's, I think 12 seasons of on cinema at the cinema. Yeah. It's true. It's on cinema at the cinema is um kind of turning into the modern Ulysses. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so involved. The Oscar specials are a whole series unto themselves. Like, yeah, people people who I would never expect to enjoy, like the Tim and Eric brand of humor, will bring up the Oscar specials. That's wild. Yeah. That's like the stalker of comedy. <laughs> yes. Like they just it just goes on. It's like <laughs> it you linger in this world with them. Man. But yeah, I I think Steve Brule check it out is like um it was interesting because it kind of it it it, ex, it it extracted one piece of the Tim and Eric Awesome Show great job aesthetic the 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 faux local television public access thing with Jan and Wayne Schuyler um, from which Steve Rule originated and built a whole world out of that yeah which is like. You know, I mean, in a way, it's kind of like the way that Saturday Night Live would occasionally spin off movies. You know, Wayne's World being the Wayne's World and the Blues Brothers, I guess, being maybe the only successful examples. But they did it over and over and over again. You know, there was a Night at the Roxbury, and there was a Coneheads movie. And so there was on. a Coneheads movie. I was you just know? thinking about that. And uh, Tim and Eric basically did that, but they did it right and they did it well. And constructed something that I think holds its own against the original source material. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it and is it's it's recognizably of a piece with it, but it's also tremendously distinct. Yes. Yes, it is. You know, the, when you put Dr. Steve Brule next to Doug Prish Preed, they're clearly not they exist in the same world, but they're not the same type of thing. Mm-hmm. Doug Prishpreet is a joke. Stephen Steve Brule is a a person, and he exists to make you laugh because he he comes out of comedy, but he's fully formed. Yeah, which is a remarkable achievement just of of writing and acting. It really does just keep coming back to me to John C. Riley and and him making that character work and him making that character happen. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's it's they got a guy with tremendous dramatic chops, and co-created the show with him where he could be an idiot. Um, yeah, we're going to invent a take fake talk show where you play a baby who has a man's job. Yeah, and it's going to completely change comedy. <laughs> <laughs> 
one thing that I, I thought about a lot as we were preparing for this episode um, is that in as much as he's an overgrown toddler, the sexual element to the humor yes. is really troubling. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, that's, that's the, the, the frisson of it because he, yeah. his, his actions are those of a toddler, but clearly he has the body of a man. Right. Um, and is like lonely and horny. It's very upsetting. <laughs> it's really upsetting. <laughs> you know, that's, 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 part of the joke is like oh you don't you don't even want to see this guy have his needs fulfilled it's it's just like too repulsive to contemplate he goes to some clinic at one point and they strap him into some sort of sperm extraction machine and he yells stop the machine i'm dry (laughs) oh my god or you know when he's uh he sucks dick in the back of rondon volante's playpen (laughs) or uh you know, or he, or he says uh, Jan Schuyler's breast tastes like roast beef. You know, like just it just goes on and on. <laughs> it truly does. I think you know we we mentioned um, his mother. Yeah, Doris. What what is her first? Doris her Pringle Brule Salahari. That's it. And I think that abuse is a really strong recurring element in the show, both explicitly and by implication, because people are constantly abusing Steve Brule, mm-hmm. whether he realizes it or not. And he's, he really seldom does. Um, he's constantly being manipulated and talked down to and physically hurt and controlled all of his formative experiences appear to be horrible. And in every instance, there's no sense that this man can consent to any given experience. Right. He's, he's so unprepared for the world. That's a good way to put it because, you know, the, the, the kind of, the fundamental aspect of the comedy uh, of each episode of check it out with Dr. Steve rule is him sort of discovering some basic facet of the world with a child's eyes. Yeah. Boats or horses or yeah. Like these very, very basic concepts or, or nouns effectively, you know, that it's like, it's the first time he's heard of them and like, what's it going to be like? Let's check it out together. You and me, you know? And it's like, well, we already know what it is. (laughs) And and (laughs) so like, yeah, watching him, watching him sort of dig his hands into it, um, and pull back stumps basically every single time. Like it's really, it's troubling. It is, and he just has this this totally garbled experience of the world over and over and over again. And I mean, there's no sense that it's ever going to change or improve. There's no end game for Dr. Steve Brule, the thought of him going home to his house at night, even that is deeply upsetting. Yeah. Who is feeding this man? How does he get dressed? <laughs> well, he eats big cans of chipped beef from Meyer's <laughs> Superfoods, if I recall correctly. We do know that. Horse meat and all kinds of good stuff. 
But I, th- I think you're right about abuse. I mean, one of the through lines, like the narrative through lines of the show, to the extent that it has any, is the emergence of this character, Brown, who I think first appears as a background actor in when he goes to like a carnival. Mm-hmm. And then eventually you see Steve Brule pass out in a sauna and this man lets himself into the sauna and closes the door behind himself very yeah. ominously. And he shows up again in the Stevie pilot episode where he has like a morning talk show and everybody else leaves because it's the end of the world and they're getting into their bunkers and Brown is the only man left behind. And then Brown has like a, an adult daycare center where like, he wears a diaper and makes Steve Brule change his shitty diaper. And it and it's like, this is an abuser. Like that's this is a Right, this man is sexually preying on Steve Brule. Yes. And it's like it's a bit. It's incredibly dark. Yes. There the, I mean, Steve Brule is the tension between its innocence and its serious subject matter being mined for comedy instead of tragedy is so inspired yeah it really is i mean you know how many maudlin movies about different kinds of disabled people have we as a culture endured and here's here's steve brule who is sort of is and isn't within that box who is, is as much he's as plausible as like an alien attempting to lead a human life as a social experiment as he is as, as someone with brain damage or like a bad head injury. And his life is not, not precisely mocked, but it is extremely painful Mm -hmm. and bizarre. I don't know. I think that the show has a weird amount of respect for Steve Brule as a human being. I mean, even as it at as it shows him to be completely absurd and laughable in almost every context, we are at the end of the day tuning in to hear this man's thoughts on life, and he always has something to say. You know, he's he's in a position where he is exploring and explaining the world to us. It's just, it's such a, such a fucking onion of a show. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right about that. Um, like, I don't get the sense that, that we're meant to see Steve Brule as contemptible in any way. No, no, not at all. He's, he's lovable, even if he's like also uncomfortable to be around. Because a lot of the people around him are contemptible. Um, yes. And, and, and you experience that through his sort of naive eyes and like the, the maybe the the single line of dialogue that I come back to or that I think about the most from check it out besides brew mm-hmm. uh, is when his mother's new husband Mobin hangs himself. And at the end of the episode, it's a, the, the usual, what have we learned segment and the one line summary of Mobin suicide is Mobin couldn't hack it. <laughs> and that really is all there is to it. <laughs> it, 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 
it is. <laughs> oh, like, braver, braver men have tried to tame the wild stallion that is Doris Pringle. And it's it, it's an amazingly dark line, yeah. you know, which is what impressed itself upon me the first time I heard it. I think it's a partial callback to Full Metal Jacket and the <laughs> the death of um, Arliss Howard's character who gets shot, and as he dies, right. he says, "I can hack it, I can hack it." Um, That's a good point. I hadn't made that connection. I did. You know, I, I, I'm thinking about it now, and I have no idea. It's probably not deliberate at all. But, like, you can see shades of Vincent D'Onofrio's private pile in Dr. Steve Brule. That is an excellent point. You know, D'Onofrio is also, in that film especially, simultaneously made to look ogreish and infantile. Yep. And that, that contrast is really played up in that role. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Good for me. Um, yeah, really. I never yeah. would have put that together. And D'Onofrio is an actor who, you know, I think you and I are both fans of his work in the Marvel yeah. show Daredevil. Oh, um, yeah. He was so, he's so much better than he had to be. Yeah. I mean, he put in he, work on that show, man. He could have just showed up. And he would have looked right and everyone would have clapped. But he like, you know, he invents a whole new type of guy. He did. That's a great, yes. And he, he comes up with a new way of speaking, like the weird pauses and stuff that he does. And he's unnecessarily weird. It's in a great. Role where he could absolutely have phoned in just like, I'm a supervillain, you know? Yeah. But he and, didn't. And instead, and instead, he has a little bit of brutal in him. Yeah. And it made people noticed it, you know? I mean, Marvel fans are cheap dates and oh man yeah you know as both of us have have encountered and gone on about at length and and he could have done much lesser work and been lauded to the skies by it by Marvel fans but he risked alienating people by being odd and I think it paid off and this is not to get on a whole digression about Vincent D'Onofrio and Daredevil of all things but like I, I I think that Riley in Check It Out is taking these same kind of risks where it's like, I'm not just going to do, um, you know, this sort of pantomime where I'm doing the things that are done in comedy and that you associate with laughing and therefore you're going to laugh at. Like, it, I'm just going to make this weird and strange and hope that you come to the role rather than making the role like, and just handing it to you on a silver platter. Does that make any sense? Yeah, I hope so. Um, I think I just, uh, mm, it is just so impressive to me. And I don't know. I mean, I do, I I guess that it does have airs in comedy. I mean, I, I do think that you do see a lot of it and I think you should leave. Um, but, as you said, compared to a lot of what constitutes comedy on television, it's much more ambitious and much more daring. Just on the level of the performance itself. Basically, every single element of it. You know, there is nothing. No other show would put him in that wig. Yeah. (laughs) 
you know, and I think I think that's the whole ball game. I think a lot about, and this is another line from you. I'm, I'm unfortunately my co-host is also my favorite television critic. Oh, sure. Um, but I remember you were reviewing the second season of Fargo, and spoiler alert for the second season of Fargo, when the UFO shows up in the penultimate episode, you said something to the effect of in order to inspire awe and like touch transcendence, you have to flirt with absurdity. And in a strange way, I think that Steve Brewer reflects that too. I mean, what else would you call the experience of laughing so hard that you can't breathe? That's just, that's a kind of transcendence. Absolutely. You're not in the in the world around you when that's happening. You're you're experiencing something. I think it's an undervalued form of transcendence. I mean, I would never have thought about it in that way before you just said it two seconds ago. But um, I mean, let's let's be cautious here about two people who have gone on the record multiple times saying, I hate fun. <laughs> <laughs> Attempting to reinvent the experience of laughing from whole cloth on a theoretical level. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's... <laughs> but it is it's it's transporting yeah you know the 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 more you watch and the the deeper into the hole of like being completely unable to handle what steve brule is doing in front of you you get the more you're in his world and that's that's the real trick of it is that there is a world for you to go into. He's not telling you jokes. No, that's true. He's your guide into the different <laughs> subjects that he tackles in each episode. Like right, he's, 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 the, your, he's the fucking boatman. He's your Virgil. Yeah. Uh, oh. You know the other thing. I guess I said it, but you know, um, th- this idea of you know to find something transcendent, you have to touch, be willing to touch the absurd. I think the other obvious aesthetic touchstone for a lot of what Tim and Eric does, but certainly in Check It Out, is David Lynch. And, yes, for sure. Um, you see, I, I, I think there's a level. This, there's no reason to believe that David Lynch ever watched Check It Out with Doctor Steve Brule, but if you've seen Twin Peaks season three. And you're familiar with Dougie Jones. It's not a world apart. No, it's not. From Steve Brule. No, so um, it's another childlike, innocent man who's living in his own world. And it's a world in which people occasionally get brutally murdered in the house across the street from him or whatever, you know, or right. gun down in the street. And, you know, and and he's he's a tulpa and all this kind of, and there's a demon wearing his face that's running around out there. And all this kind of stuff. Um, and and check it out. S- Steve is really a part of this. Often it's just the video effects that they use on the other peripheral characters. Um, but check it out can get very scary at times. Yes, it can. Like, And part of it is the fact that you're probably watching it high at <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. Um, you know, and... More than almost, you know, I feel like it served as a sort of proof of of concept for the infomercials that they Mm -hmm. ran 
Um, so many of which had horrific elements to them. Some of which Absolutely. were just straight up horror. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we should do an episode on unedited footage of a bear. Absolutely. That's... Or as to, to put it in Tim Eric's way, absolutely. <laughs> um, but yeah, almost all of those are very strongly horror influenced. This house has people in it, and mm-hmm. you know, I I personally think that this one is a little overrated, but too many cooks many turns cooks. into yeah. a slasher. Yeah. Um. And then, you know, of course, unedited footage of a bear is just straight up horror. One of the scariest things I've ever seen. It's so upsetting. Um, I have a really hard time watching unedited footage of a bear. I would say Uh, that I probably watch it at least twice a year, though. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, it's under. It's sometimes it's it's something I put on when I'm like, you know, you want to test your metal, buddy? (laughs) Let's put on unedited footage of a bear. It's two o'clock in the morning. You're the only one awake. Let's go for it. (laughs) Yep. Um, but yeah, like, you know, I'm thinking in, in check it out. There's a wonderful, uh, secondary character named Scott Clam who actually takes over the show when Steve Brule is arrested in the finale of check it out with Dr. Steve Brule. And if you go on HBO go, there's a season five of check it out with Dr. Steve Brule and it's just check it out with Scott Clam. And it's, it's 15 minutes of him talking about trains, uh, without making jokes David Lieber Hart, um, who's a ventriloquist who's on Tim and Eric and check it out very frequently. Uh, it's it's wonderful, just anti comedy and and it's in sort of its purest form. Um, but they they'll do things where like they'll isolate Scott Clam's face and he's just this little guy who seems nice and awkward, and they'll make him they'll blur out part of the coloring of his face to make him look like this horrible demon man. <laughs> yes. And then they'll erase his face entirely and it'll just be a suit with no head. And then, and, and there's all kinds of really deeply troubling stuff like that throughout. Yeah, I was thinking of um, the close-ups on Doug Prishpreed's teeth mm. when he's, he's clicking them together and the sound is out of sync with the clicking. And he's he's talking about how he's going to have them all pulled individually and put in different jars. <laughs> There's definitely a, and I think that this works really well because it never originates with Doctor Steve Brule, never. But it's always around him. Yeah, the, his world is God. You know what it reminds me of is like. like portal fantasy you know where you your child hero steps through a mystic door into narnia or whatever and it's full of peril and excitement but it's like if portal fantasy took you to a strip mall right like it's it's this fantastic version of america that is stupid and desiccated and sort of unthinkingly hostile. And I realize this sounds like the reality we live in. Well, well, I mean, um, but that's, you know, that's what it's meant to be. Yeah. At the end of the day, the, the whole oeuvre of Tim and Eric is, I mean, when I've written about it, I called it the new American grotesque. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. 
Steve yeah, Bull, I mean, if it, if it if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, you know, I mean, if it resembles aspects of our actual life to an uncomfortable degree, I mean, I think that's yeah, that's all you need to know. Yeah, it's obviously deliberate and yeah. intentional and and thoughtful and which are weird words to use about checking out with Doctor Steve Brule, you know. They are, but it's a very thoughtful show. Yeah. I don't think it could be so funny if it wasn't so insightful. Wholly agreed. What do you think? Should we wrap here? I think that's fair. All right, everyone. For your health. <laughs> this has been... I was about to say this has been Check It Out. <laughs> but it's not. It's been It's been cut to black. Uh, I've been Shanti Collins. And I've been Gretchen Felker-Martin. Bye-bye, everybody. Good night.